0: Well, good morning everybody, morning. Uh, For regulars here, would you believe it's nine weeks since we were looking at the Gospel of Luke? Where does the time go? I don't know. The last time was when Steve um, was preaching on the incident of Jesus up the mountain that we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where he was transfigured before his disciples. And... um, I just want to visit that briefly because it puts us into the context of our scripture today. Jesus and his three disciples, Peter, James and John, had just had a mountaintop experience. I don't know whether that's where we get that phrase. People talk about a mountaintop experience. So much comes from the Bible anyway, doesn't it? Uh, They'd gone with Jesus up Mount Hermon to pray. As Jesus was praying, he was transfigured before them. The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. The disciples saw the glory of Jesus that had previously been hidden in his humanity. Moses and Elijah also appeared in glorious splendor. And a cloud enveloped them and they heard a voice saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. But then as they come down from the mountain, the next day they face the distressing inability of the other nine disciples to deal with a case of demon possession. So today we're looking at what probably is a familiar story, um, the healing of the epileptic boy. And that's in Luke 9, 37-43. But it also appears in Matthew and Mark's Gospels. And to get a fuller picture uh, of what's going on, and particularly to pick up all that Jesus has to say, we will only need to refer to all three Gospels. And I've taken the liberty of um, taking the unique elements from each Gospel and putting them into one narrative. It will come up on the screen, but you won't find it easy to follow in your Bible. I apologize for the size of the lettering that comes up. <clears throat> so here it is, three Gospels combined. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain to join the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And the man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I brought him to your disciples and begged them to cast it out, and they were not able. They could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when they saw the crowd running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. Some of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose, instantly healed, And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We'll first um, have a look and see what we can learn from this incident, what's going on here. Uh, And then we'll consider uh, Jesus' comments and how they apply to us. So Jesus, Peter, James and John had come down from the mountain to join the other disciples, and they saw a large crowd around them, including some scribes, teachers of the law, religious experts. And it says that when the crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Why were they amazed? What was it about him? Was it that his face was still shining uh, from that experience on the mountain? We don't know. But there must have been something about Jesus' appearance that struck them. Uh, If you think back into the Old Testament, this is reminiscent of when Moses came down the mountain after having received the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 34, it says that his face shone. But here in the midst of the crowd, there's a big argument going on and Jesus asked, what's it all about? Nobody answers him specifically But a man comes up to him and kneels before him and tells him about his epileptic son and how a spirit seizes him and that Jesus' disciples could not cast it out and heal the boy. Jesus' response doesn't appear to be directed at anyone there specifically, but to a faithless generation. He says, oh, faithless generation. This statement is in all three Gospels, but in Mark... He adds the extra words of Jesus which sound absolutely exasperated. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Because by this time, Jesus had performed many miracles, witnessed by thousands, yet there was so much unbelief. So we might conclude that the argument involving the scribes was about faith and belief. Now, it may, this is pure speculation, but it may have been that the scribes were questioning the legitimacy of the disciples attempting to cast out spirits and heal people on the basis that God doesn't heal today uh, and it's very cruel to raise people's hopes. Um, in other words, it clashed with their theology. Um, this is a view that we may be confronted with. Uh, when we openly announce that we're a church that believes God heals today, and that we readily pray for the sick, then we have the fact that the boy was uh, the fact that the boy uh, was not just said to have epilepsy, but in the father's words, he has a spirit that makes him mute. Jesus acknowledges this in all three Gospels. In Matthew and Luke, before healing the boy, he rebukes the unclean spirit. In Mark, he names the spirit, saying, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So what does this tell us about the relationship uh, between unclean spirits or demons and illness? Well, of course, we can't, Um, build a theology of demonization uh, from this passage but it would appear that the boy suffered from epilepsy um, and the symptoms are common to the disease we know today but also from an unclean spirit this is borne out when Jesus addresses the situation he first cast out the spirit and as the boy lay there like a corpse he takes him by the hand and he arose instantly healed it may be that the spirit was stirring up the epilepsy we can't be sure but it does appear that apart from epilepsy the boy was deaf and dumb and this was attributed to an unclean spirit so i've concluded that in this situation we are dealing with two separate elements whereas in other places recorded in the gospel jesus either separately drives out demons and then in other places He separately heals people. Now in this country it would be unusual um, for us to encounter people who have an unclean or evil spirit or we might use the term being demonised and we certainly would not normally associate epilepsy with such. Now evil spirits do not trouble people unless there is a door opened for them such as involvement in the occult this could range from Ouija boards to seances uh, to consulting mediums uh, to outright, outright witchcraft many of you will remember George from Brazil who stayed with us for a while spent a fair bit of time with us he said that back home when he and other Christians entered people's homes to pray for the sick they would first as a matter of course in the name of Jesus command evil spirits to go. Because spiritism, with its customs and rituals, introduced by slaves from West Africa centuries ago, is a significant religion in Brazil. So they're on their guard to to make sure that they deal with any spiritual issues like that before healing someone. Thankfully, this is not part of our culture, not generally anyway, but churches often run the Freedom in Christ course, as we have done many years ago. We took everybody through it at Beacon. Um, This is particularly helpful for new Christians because it helps to identify and renounce any past involvement in the occult. So for us, when we come across illnesses such as epilepsy, we should treat, treat them as illnesses and not assume evil spirit activity unless the Lord shows us otherwise. And then we should be prepared to first deal with the Spirit, as Jesus did, and before praying for healing. Now let's um, come to the, the big question that the disciples asked Jesus. Why could we not cast it out? Although the focus in this account is about casting out a Spirit, I want to apply this to healing because I think this would be more helpful to us, and I'm, and I'm sure that we all have questions about healing. We might not express them to one another, but we've all got question marks about healing, even in the name of, of Jesus. So one might be, why does God not heal when we have prayed much? Um, you may have asked that question. I think I have. Nevertheless, we are... Now part of a Christian tradition that believes that all that was promised those early disciples concerning the work and witness of the Holy Spirit has not been withdrawn from the church and that today signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the gospel. And we see that praying for the sick is an essential part of that. So why does God not heal? And the disciples' question might strike a chord with us. If you're like me when you come to a passage like this um, and others where we see Jesus healing we are hoping to find a key uh, a method which we'd probably previously missed uh, which will unlock more healing in the church. But as we look at the way Jesus healed it should prevent us from relying on special formula or methods for healing. We see that he used different ways. For example, he lays hands on someone, the next he declares them healed, the next he rebukes sickness, the next he puts spirit on a person's tongue, spit on a person's tongue, next he makes mud and puts it on someone's eyes, and here, in this account, he takes hold of the boy by the hand and lifts him up. And we see in the Acts of the Apostles, the disciples, and particularly Peter, continuing the healing ministry in the name of Jesus, again, using different methods. These may be important factors, but they, are, they do not bring healing in themselves. So we're not discounting any of that, and we may be prompted to use those methods. But of themselves, they do not bring healing. No, Jesus majors on belief, and faith, and not methods. Uh, But contrary to what we might expect, it is not the quantity or the strength of faith that Jesus commends, but the quality of faith. Jesus makes this point to the disciples in answer to their question, why could we not cast it out? By saying, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now as I looked at that, it seemed to me that the opening words of this statement are somewhat contradictory. (laughs) At first, Jesus is suggesting that their problem is the smallness of their faith. Uh, And yet he says, a small amount of faith faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, indicating it's absolutely minuscule, uh, is all that is needed for any challenge. I think we must conclude that the little faith at the beginning of this statement refers to the faithless generation he has criticised earlier, their cynicism, perhaps, and that faith, however small but real, is all that is required. Now, how we perceive faith can often be tied to our emotions. I'm sure we've all experienced times when we felt full of faith, especially when we know of someone who's recently been healed in the name of Jesus. I don't know, we might want to be looking for other people and wanting to lay hands on them and so on. Other times, our faith seems to be at a low ebb. But it is not about how we feel, but where we place our faith, which is important We do not put faith in faith but in the one who is the object of our faith and therefore in the one who has unlimited power as Jesus said to his disciples nothing will be impossible for you because nothing is impossible for God. An illustration of this is um, the experience of Rodney Kingston a name that some of you may remember who many years ago was one of the first New Frontiers leaders to visit China as the country was opening up. And he was taken, to a, taken secretly to a large Christian meeting in a village. After he had spoken, the person in charge of the meeting said to all those present who were sick were to line up and Rodney would heal them. <laughs> a large number of people came forward. I think they formed a great line. And Rodney said his heart sank and any faith that he might have seemed to drain away. Nevertheless, he looked to God and obediently laid hands on all who passed before him. And almost to his surprise, many of the people immediately testified to being healed. So... Um, Then when he got home, well, talking about when he was at home, he said that he'd often prayed for people and felt very full of faith. Um, But nothing, little or nothing had happened. Yet there in China, with such little faith, many people were healed. Two men were about to board an aircraft to fly to America. The first knew uh, knew a lot about aviation, He had checked the maintenance records of the plane. He checked the credentials of the pilot and being satisfied with both of those, he boarded the plane with absolute confidence. The other man hated flying and knew nothing about aviation or the pilot, but on the basis of not knowing of any recent crashes with this airline, with fear and trepidation, he boarded the plane. How much faith did the second man need? Just enough to walk up the steps. That's all he needed. So from these two illustrations, we see that faith is expressed by our actions, not by our feelings. So what should we do? How should we express our faith, even when we think it's small? Well, firstly, like Rodney, we should be obedient. We have been commanded to go and make disciples and teach them all that Jesus taught those first disciples, as Steve reminded us last week, which includes proclaiming the good news, healing the sick, and casting out demons. We don't have to ask permission to preach. All right? We may get into trouble, but generally we don't have to ask permission. But we do have to ask permission when it comes to praying for healing. It is by consent It's by invitation when we are asked to. An example will be from the letter of James. He asked the question, Is anyone among you sick? Let him, that's the person who is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. I'm sure this would include... Offering to pray for someone who expresses a need. If someone comes to us and said they've got this particular physical problem or, or, or emotional problem, then we can say, would you like me to pray for you? That's quite legitimate. But we should not go around laying hands on people willy-nilly. Right? That's, that's, not, that's not fair. And many people don't welcome that. So... Um, So we express our little faith by being obedient, by being available, by being ready to pray, and um, very importantly, by being prepared to persevere. If nothing seems to happen at first when we pray, let's pray again and again and not give up. I know sometimes when there's an opportunity to pray for somebody, I feel a kind of inertia that's sort of holding me know—holding me back. Whether it's past disappointments, I don't know. But I do know that I have to press through that. I have to overcome that and act in faith and persevere. We have to recognise that God is always loving and compassionate and ready to heal. Uh, as we see from this passage... But we may ask the question, will all be healed? There were occasions in the Gospel when Jesus didn't heal. For example, at the pool of Bethesda, where in John's Gospel it says that there were multitudes of invalids all around this pool, blind, lame, paralysed, and yet Jesus heals only one man. And there are other incidents too. However, some would argue that Jesus healed everyone who came to him, like those times when the sun was setting and great crowds gathered to be healed. And therefore, we should expect everyone to be healed that we pray for in Jesus' name. But there is a difference between Jesus and us, and it has to do um, with the kingdom of God, even if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was on earth in himself in what he said and what he did, a perfect expression of the kingdom of God. He said to the people that his presence and what he did were a sign that the kingdom of God had come among them because he had come among them. Therefore, he had all power to heal and even raise the dead, which was a foretaste of the age to come. But he taught his disciples and us to pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because even with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, the kingdom of God only comes in part. And we will only, it will only fully come when Jesus comes again. And then all will be healed. So, as we pray, Your kingdom come. We preach the good news of the kingdom. We pray for the sick. We cast out evil spirits. And we expect the powers of the age to come will break into this present age and this suffering world. But because we're living in the overlap, because the kingdom of God is here, but not fully here, there is a tension between the now and the not yet. There will always be a tension. And we may feel what I've called a kind of holy frustration. There's a holy frustration about it because some are not healed. And I call it a holy frustration because it's not there to paralyze us. It's there to galvanize us and motivate us to keep praying for the sick until we see the results promised. Some of you will remember John Wimber. Who remembers John Wimber? Yes, good. Okay. He founded the Vineyard Movement in America um, and who saw an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 70s and 80s. He said that as they began to pray for the sick, nothing happened for about six months. But as they persevered, little by little, they saw people being healed. And then the ministry took off and spread to many countries, including the UK. More recently, um, there's the experience of Phil Moore, who uh, wrote in these series of um, studies, Straight to the Heart, really good, very helpful um, uh, um, insights into Scripture. On the one on Matthew and on this passage, he says this, Let me nail my colours to the mast. Until recently, I never used to pray for people to be healed. I was too scared of failure. And I had some great Bible verses to tell me that I needn't try. Then God ambushed me. Through the straight-talking challenge of a friend, I grew increasingly convicted that I was peddling a watered-down gospel out of fear of looking foolish." And then later on he says, I've been praying for the sick for a few years now, convinced that it is a non-negotiable part of the gospel. Uh, Only about two in every ten are healed, but when I started it was only one in ten. And before that, of course, it was no one at all. I'm learning every day, taking stumbling steps and feeding myself on passages like this one, uh, keep to keep myself going on the journey little by little i 'm seeing God heal and then he finishes with what 's more i 've never seen so many people saved as I have since i started preaching the gospel of healing we we 'll finish with jesus statement um, which is when he 's speaking to the disciples about the evil spirit. It's right at the end of our, the passage we've looked at. He says, however, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And I believe the same applies to healing. This kind of healing can't happen by anything but prayer. The outcome of everything we attempt in Jesus' name is dependent on on our relationship to the Father uh, through the Son. Jesus said in John 15 that if we abide in him, if we live close to him, we will bear much fruit. I think what Jesus says here in this passage um, about prayer is not so much about specific prayer when we're about to minister to somebody uh, for healing, um, although I'm sure that's appropriate, but our ongoing prayer life, our ongoing relationship with the Father. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, David reminded us of Paul's exhortation to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. You remember that from 1 Corinthians 15? Uh, f- um, and was uh, it 14? Know. Anyway, um, it, to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. How do we express express that desire? One way is in the secret place, daily. We ask the Father and we keep on asking. And in the context of what we're considering to hear today, we keep on asking for the gift of healing. And we keep praying for the sick. Because it is a fact, as we've just heard from the illustrations, that the more people we pray for the more will be healed. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he commissions his disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation and assures them that all who believe because of them, and that's us, will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do... We do feel the tension. Lord, we love your promises to us, uh, how your kingdom will be expressed through healing the sick and other ministry. But, but we do feel the tension, Lord, the, the now and the not yet. And, Lord, maybe we feel that, that frustration, but, Lord, we want to make it holy frustration that motivates us and keeps us pressing on pressing into the good things that you have promised us in Jesus. So we ask you for more of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to help us, to encourage us. He is the comforter. Uh, He is the encourager. Lord, may he encourage us to press into praying for the sick and seeing your glory in the church. In Jesus' name, amen.